Alright, check one, check two, this is it. Welcome to the Cannabis Coffee Hour. We started with your host, me, Rob Cantrell. I got a great guest, my good friend. I just started the show on him because we both, you know, we hung out outside for a minute. Uh, but give it up for Seton Smith. <sighs> Seton has opened for John Mulaney. He opened for the band The Strokes. Uh, he started in D.C. I'm sorry to even talk kind of show busy to you right now. <laughs> but because uh, we go credits, back. Name all the credits. Open up for Bill Burr. Yeah, you opened up for Bill Burr. When did you do that? Uh, for his 2012 special. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was pretty dope. That was really cool. Experience. Yeah, where was that? That was in D.C. Um, oh, shit. Yeah, he did it at Lincoln Theater. You went to the Lincoln Theater? Yeah, man. It was awesome. Got to open up for him, and it was like, because I got to open up before that uh, for um, Norton, Attell, Jim Brewer, and Bill Burr were doing this this theater tour. Or not even theater. It was maybe like a half arena tour. It was like, because I remember they let me open up for them at the Warner Theater. No, was it Warner? Yeah, I want to say it was open, or Constitution. Yeah, Constitution <laughs> They let me open yeah, They opened up for the Constitution Hall. I remember those tours right before Bill Burr super blew up, and it was kind of like a lot of the New York crew that was almost tough crowd, and then Jim Brewer. No, it was and actually. Didn't do, you did a tour with Charlie Murphy. No, no, I you Charlie never Murphy. did. That was uh, no, that was Jermaine who got to do Charlie Murphy. I was okay. very, I was very. We were all jealous of that one. No, yeah. I got to do the only thing I got to do was the Opie Anthony tour when they were doing those big arenas. I that's what that. I remember. And that, that's what introduced me to Norton and Burr and. Uh, oh, the New York people. scene. Yeah. yeah, let me do. I was oh, these are the greats, and it was like dope because I remember they after that they did autograph signing, and then like Patrice O'Neill was there, and I was like, well, I ain't doing no autograph signing. He was like, yeah, you. You just got on stage. You're doing an autograph signing. Come here. <laughs> and oh, told, for real? Yeah, he forced me to come. Oh, like, man. No, Patrice has been like, yeah, overwhelmingly a wonderful human being to me. Like, they always say behind the scenes he was he's, he's an asshole, but I don't know. He went to me. He was just a yeah, like a godsend Jesus to me. He's just always kind, always pulled me around to be just give me advice. I would be in the room. I'm not good enough. He's like, no, nah, man, sit down. Talk to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He liked you. He liked yeah, you. He was a good person. Uh, but yeah, Patrice was good to me, man. Uh, everybody has these horror stories. And I got to do, we co-headlined uh, at Stand Up New York on a New Year's. Really? Not to bra I'm trying not to brag. I don't no, that's a braggable. That's uh, braggable. No, no, yeah, I just, and I guess we can make this a full stand-up episode. I just interviewed a musician. You're too cool to come through and do this, Seton, because that's what we know each other from stand-up. Yeah. You are hardcore stand-up. Seton is hardcore everything these days. He came here on a motorcycle. He's yeah. opening for rock bands. Uh, he's doing MMA. He's yeah. uh, directing films. Are you? Uh, that's when I first. You were a stand-up in DC, but you were also into filmmaking. Yeah, man. Yeah, I really, um, I went to film school. Went to Howard, and I remember I was when I was a kid. My dad had a camera, so I just played around in the house a lot, and then learned how to edit within the camera, and then. Went to Howard and made some fun, weird films. Because by then, I got really weird. Got into, it was like, two, it was early, late 90s, and that was when, like, indie films were, like, hot. Hot. <laughs> hot, you know, like, and so, like, Fight this Club. sounds cool, man. Oh, yeah. So, like, yeah, definitely being, like, that weird black kid at that black school, I was really into, like, Atlanta. What was, no, I, not to cut you off, what was Howard Film School like, man? 
awesome. What was it like going? Yeah, that's awesome. what I, I would mean, think. I mean, awesome. I mean, like, Who was I'm, the teachers? Like, uh, what would they? They have like oh, had black filmmakers from DC and, and New York. They probably would have major cats. They did. They would have uh, cool people. Like uh, I remember Harry Belafonte came to just talk to us for an hour about stuff. Oh my god! Um, um, Classic. Yeah, one was, of the great greats. Yeah, that was really fun to hear his industry. He was so angry and bitter. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome to hear because now, especially twenty years in the business, I'm like, oh, I see exactly what he's talking about. Except that was seventy years ago. It was much worse. No, no, no. I'm definitely on his side. But it's um. What was his angle? But he went on to make. He did make a lot of money. He felt he did huge movies. Yes. In May, first killed it in music. Yes. Then killed it in movies. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Uh, and he killed in producing. Like yeah, he producing. Produce, he produced like Beat Street. Dude. Great I think movies. you could look it up. I don't know. Hiram, can you look that up? I mean, I he think, did, I he, think he, he produced Beat Street. I want to say he produced Uptown Saturday Night. Like, he talked I about think, that. And yeah. he was just like, I remember he told a long story of, like, I read the script and I was like, this is crap. What are you, t- no, we're not going to make this. And he's like, we got all these stars. He was like, I mean, fine. And then, <laughs> and then they called me up. They were like, we want to make a part two. He's like, but that was crap. <laughs> he's like, we're gonna, all right, make part two. It was like, he was just so real. I was like, yo, Harry Belafonte is the man. Um, what did he do? Did he do a speech or did he teach a class? No, Howard would just. He have, just did appearance. Howard was the type of player. Said black people who were important and cool would just show up and talk for an hour. That was kind of the place. It was that's like, awesome. You no, know, like Bill Cosby once came, like during his rant. There was a rant in the <laughs> early 2000s, which um, I actually believe this is why the sexual allegations came out because he went on this whole black people need to get their self together joke, the rant. And then, and then, then I that, remember this. And the backlash was that joke. It was just a joke. Like, why are you talking on this chat? And so yeah. um, I guess what many people on the podcast don't exactly know the entire context, so I'll tell you. Um, yeah, Bill Cosby, his entire act was being wonderful and clean, as we know. But then for some reason, right after the Cosby, his second Cosby show ended, he just went, he started just wearing Crocs and wearing a sweater <laughs> and walking around and just telling that black people, you had a bunch of black people holding us back from rising. Y'all need to pull up the bootstraps and get it together. It was a weird rant. And it kept going. This is before the internet was hot, so people kind of forgot about it. I remember And this. then I remember just Hannibal just made a joke, like, why are you talking about black, yeah, black people? black people don't like to be told. Nobody likes to be told what to do. He just, yeah, he yeah. just said, why are you on a high horse? You rape people yeah. that was just his whole point <laughs> it was his whole point and it was out there too. yeah so it was out there so it was like what about one of those if he didn't talk trash he wouldn't have got charged right back it was like one of those interesting so um um i don't even know how i got this chance but this uh but yeah. I, I was saying like uh no i said i forgot what i was talking howard about. you know I was oh yeah i saw making at howard and then uh, i also got the Hiram just said Harry Belafonte did produce the film Beat Street, which is very important to me, yes, which did. is the core of uh, New York hip hop. It, it wasn't the core. It documented it in a very Hollywood way. Yeah. But he was the dude that moved the script. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Move the script to the studio. Those people are important. No, he, like, he's a, he was a yes. I mean, he's not yet. Like, a person who can get a, a movie greenlit is a powerful man. He's a powerful angry, man. That's powerful millions man. of dollars moving across the table. Especially in the 70s when, like, oh. you know, the 70s was like when white people were really dying in the industry. This is a, another um, untold story. Black exploitation saved Hollywood because, like, in the mid 70s, there was really no good blockbuster white movies. Westerns had died. Action movies hadn't started yet. I can see where you're going with this. Yeah. I understand. That makes sense because, and those, uh, the black exploitation movies was kind of just would pack the theaters. Mm-hmm. People would come out, and at the end of the day, you know, show business selling tickets. Exactly. And 70s, like, it was like a weird thing. If you watch the 70s, 
big movies of the 70s or, all, or, or tour movies. Really interesting, like non totally. Let's all as a family go watch these movies. Nobody wanted to go. No, no, no. no. You had to go through some trauma to see some of these, like. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kansas. Deliverance. Like, uh, you, you can go down the line. Like I was thinking, Southern Comfort. There's like all these. Dog's like, Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon. Just gnarly. Just, and mind gnarly. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then behind that, you have Dolomite. What's your choice? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you want to have fun tonight? You're going to Dog's Afternoon or Dolomite? You got to see Dolomite. I mean, what I love about Dolomite is he was a stand-up comic. Yeah. You know, Mitch Green was his the comic he didn't like. Yes. Yeah, and he had this. He had a battle with Mitch Green. He did stand-up and karate. I think that's interesting. I mean, I mean, black people also. That's another weird untold thing. Black people were doing so much karate in the uh, <laughs> in the seventies. Like there were so many stories of, like pimps and thugs. No, no, we, uh, Bruce Lee and Wu Tang Clan. I mean, I think it comes from like watching those movies. Like I'm old enough to know that Saturday. I think it was either Saturday or Sunday. It was after the, the cartoons. They would run karate joints. I would say that, but those were '90s. They were '90s kids. They weren't '70s kids. You talk to '70s dudes because like there was a big Asian, the Asian wave that came in the '60s. Tell me. They were talking. This is something I've actually become talking to these people in the um. The big Brooklyn, there's a big Brooklyn black martial arts community. And that stems from um, a, a few Asians that came to America and they broke the stigmatism of like teaching people. That's what Bruce so, Lee was like going to share the secret and mm -hmm. the elders got, got bombed. Yeah, but he was like 10, 15 years before that. So like he was the one getting like the pun. Well, no, I'm lying. He got, he was in the 60s. So, but then the, by the time the 70s came around, the wave came, the wave and there came. was like so many cool. There's this cool movie called Black. Uh, you Black. got karate magazines. You got dojos on every corner. And got, it, instead of weed shops, it was dojos. Yeah, and it was all this real fighting. And like you watch this movie called Fighting Black Kings, where like they were actually sparring with no gear, <laughs> not knowing what they were doing, just breaking each other's bones, having fun. I'm like, oh, that's such a stupid way to live life. <laughs> well, dude, uh, football oh, and God. face masks were only like, you know, just like one bar. Yeah, man. <laughs> they and couldn't like, figure that out. Exactly. And their way of like rehabbing was cocaine. <laughs> it was a wild time in the 70s. That and whiskey. Yeah, yeah, man. That was, whew. Um, well, yeah. yeah, the seventies were gnarly. I was born in nineteen seventy-two, and I do remember it. I remember when the calendar went seventy-nine to eighty. I was in D.C. in the third grade at Brent Elementary in wow. Northeast D.C. Wow, probably seventy-eight percent black. I remember that specifically. Mm. That in the eighties were different. Oh, it was God. like the light and day, and then this just neon eighties. It was like just came, you yeah. know, and hip hop came. But the 70s was, Richard Pryor was big, and that's what it was big. And Bruce Lee and Richard Pryor is what I remember pop culturally. And John Belushi, pop culturally out of the 70s. I can see that. I can see that completely. Yeah, I look at the shift, too. You go like, sometimes... How do you know so much about the 70s? I'm obsessed with uh, old shit. Like, especially... Oh, after music I and film? Yeah. Or karate? I just, like, my, my dad's a political science professor. Well, was a political science professor. Political science. And so, like, I got... Professor? Professor, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so he wow. wrote, like, I have a joke about it. I wrote seven books on it. He was a doctorate? You got... Doctorate. He taught, yeah. Yeah, he taught at Cal State Fuller for 30 years. At Cal State? Yes, 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 yes. He had his doctorate and became a professor at Cal... That's a dope job. I mean, yeah. Living in California? Yeah, he, um, yeah, he was really responsible for getting a lot of black professors hired. He was really a... Real diligent man. That's beautiful, man. Nah, God bless woman. your dad. God bless him, man. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I so. know he just pat you. We were talking about. It. I don't mm -hmm. want to go super deep mm -hmm. on this podcast, but mm -hmm. you're going through it, mm -hmm. and you're. But but professionally, mm -hmm. you're doing really well. You Thanks, know, man. Yeah, yeah, man. It's been busy ass year. It's been nice. It's been full. 
came out with a special, um, opened up for Mulaney, and he, like, he was like, you know, make, 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 why don't you make a special? Put some content out. I was like, all right. And so then, like, I was like, can I shoot at a Madison Square Garden? He was like, why Madison Square Garden? I was like, why, why not? <laughs> and so that was cool. So that was a cool experience to do something like that. And then, um, and then hanging out with Dude, the- tell me about that. So you shot. So you're opening for John Mulaney, yeah. as everybody knows, is one of the b- most famous dudes in excellent stand-up comedy, excellent master, dude. Just a master genius. It's really cool. Yeah, just Smart, master, him. funny, um, and, and just big time. And he was sold out the, yeah, sold out the garden. How did, when did you tell him? Like a week before or like two months before? When did you spring, like, I'm going to shoot the special here? Um, it was like... Uh, I mean, sincerely, it was like maybe February. Okay. No, no, like yeah. you gave no, him like March. a month, and he was cool. March. With it. Yeah, we shot it in like no, we shot it in like July, June, or July. No, How big of a crew did you use? Um, five people, six people. No, wait, two, 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 two four, uh, maybe like yeah, six or seven people. Six. Or, did you put that all together, or did you find, hire a production I a produ- company? Um, I got a producer. I'm sorry, I got a. Um, started working with Marcus, 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 Marcus Russell Price. Yes. Wonderful genius director type dude. And then I got a few couple dudes from my old DC days. Um, a guy named Ron Ross, whom I've worked with since college. Yes. So yeah, so like we kind of me and him shot specials, like for cheap, obviously back in DC. And so it's kind of cool. We've already done it two or three times already. So, so like, you put this together with this, your smart cat friends. Yeah. Yeah, I went to film school, so like I kind of already like knew what I wanted, and like yeah, I totally. hate. I hate, and I'm to say I hate. I hated everybody else's special. It's like I'm saying like, I don't like many specials, and I hate especially the cookie cutter ones. And my biggest fear always was like a blessing in disguise. I always wanted to get on Comedy Central, but I never really wanted to get on Comedy Central because I knew they would edit it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was always like, new, I, I, I've done, I remember I got a special for Epics and I saw that shit and I was like, this is not done right. What the fuck, they missed my rhythm, they missed the fucking point, they missed the beginning, they, what is this? And I was like, all right, well fine. No, you need a funny editor. You need a funny editor, you know, they, who yeah. knows the energy, who knows like. Knows the energy, the director knows what you're doing. If you just get randos that are just hired out of nowhere to pick you up and cut you up, yeah, it comes off odd. I think a lot of it too is like, I looked at it as a filmmaker versus like a comedian, cause yeah. like, like I noticed that when you look at the first specials, the really good ones, they weren't just covering. They were like, you don't know. They were cheating you like you had no idea what was gonna happen. So they had to sit there and go, all right, this is a comedian. That's a crowd. They're here. <laughs> Something's gonna happen. You know, you're like, oh, they're setting up a situation. And then I'm like, you look at the evolution of specials. Then they just have shit happening before the special that has nothing to do with the special. But I was like, oh wait a minute. So like, so then I started just looking at like, oh wait, a whole organic. So then I started looking. All right, I'm at Master of Garden. How do I? convey to them how silly this is and it was just like just the ideas started coming together and then by the time it was like oh dope 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 so i don't know it was like dope i sat there i was like oh wait a minute i have a character conflict situation here and I how thought, did you release it that's brilliant man yeah i released it um released it on youtube but the way before that i hooked up with more dc friends who had wild ideas to do collabs but then this cool thing they were like why don't you get a billboard in times square and i was like how you do that i got a friend all right, I'm like, because in my head, you know, when you think about dreams and careers, you see yourself on billboards. No, I like being on the billboard. I right. like my name up there, man. We're but, working hard. But you but, assume there's somebody, you know, doing it for you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 like, yeah. Somebody's going to put me on a billboard. And you never think to yourself, I'm going to put myself on that damn billboard. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, I like that. I like putting myself on a billboard. I hate asking people to help me. Hell no. No, it's promo, man. It's all promo. And like you said, it's the same way as you shot your, if you hire, if somebody else did it, they would do it weird, make you look weird in Times Square. At least you know like well I, I know it's in focus and you yeah. know I look cool yeah and I also like pick my designers that I want like I also like you know like it's like a burden and a, it's a it's a blessing and a curse like being independent because 
when you know there's a time where we all dream where like somebody sees your talent they have a machine they put you in the machine and they perform <laughs> everything that's important they know you they know the people who like you they know the, the outfits you should wear yeah. the words you should say and go. suddenly yeah. go and now it's like nah nigga do all that yourself and then we're gonna make more money when you figure it out <laughs> <laughs> but on the bus on the bus side it's like oh dude like you sit there and go like who is the person you actually want to be as a human being sit it down write it down and try to be that motherfucker every day every and day then see if you would resonate with people and, and that, it comes yeah, it ends up coming. You got to make a lot of the hard decisions, or the, even the little decisions yourself. And you know, you know, putting together this podcast is, you know, you just got to dig it out. Yeah, and, questions uh, you don't want to like ask yourself, and then yeah, you like, I sit true. there and go, I got to ask, what is, what actually is this? And then make a bad choice, and then go the other way, and be like, that was all. That ain't me. But it's I'm dope. doing that with stand up, like now, like what am I actually trying to say here? Are you doing that? Like, are you always had kind of a conscious? I had a consciousness. I, I went like, funny. I'm still funny and silly. I'm pure goofball yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. My problem is I'll get, I, sometimes I'll stop being silly. Nah, I'm a, I, was a t I had a, like a, a technical detail issue. That was my main problem. Like, I already knew, because I read Pryor's books. He was like, my biggest problem was I wasn't honest. I was like, fuck it. I'm always going to be honest then. And yeah. then, but I never, he never really, he doesn't talk about his technical, like his technical arc where he was like, I had to learn this in order to figure out that. And da, da, da. like, he doesn't, like George Carlin and Richard Pryor to me, I think they're master artists, but they don't, they never, they never point out that they both worked on a sketch show together. They were both <laughs> normal motherfuckers. Then they worked on a sketch show together and they both left that show and created counterculture characters. <laughs> they both, I'm saying, they all sent into this one show in the 60s. You go, what was it, laughing? I was that laughing? Because I, I think laughing. They may have worked on that. And you're saying the counterculture character did not was, exist. Uh, yeah, it was the hippy dippy man from that was a weeded out weatherman by George Carlin. And then what? What did Richard Pryor do? What was his character spinning out? Or was he just Richard Pryor? Um, in my def well, uh, no, it wasn't just Richard Pryor. It was essentially, and this is super nerdy stuff, but it was a. He did a version of a preacher. Like yeah, listen, yeah, 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 yeah. His preacher doing, shit was awesome. Yeah, but you know, he did the impression of a preacher, but his normal talking was like when he came on stage with Richard Pryor, it was a preacher rhythm. And that's like really like just hypnotic. Like if you listen to like when. You're right. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love the preacher because the preacher was corrupt. He would play a corrupt, like he was in, the, he would have the money. He had all these jokes in it, man. Yeah, it was, no, I know, but I need for you to hear oh, me. I'm not yes, talking about his character, the preacher character. I'm talking about him, Richard Pryor, when he got on stage being Richard Pryor talked like a preacher <laughs> and he dressed like a preacher like yeah. you saw the clothes he wore those loud cut colors those were at the time those were the tent preachers that went around like he was like the red suit with the black shirt yeah if you watch like uh there was a contemporary um um ah, very very famous um minister at that time damn we just not let you <laughs> it's hard. well obscure 70 reverend ike turner Reverend oh, Ike Turner. I, I, yeah, I've heard of him. Yeah, him. Reverend Ike Turner, not the musician Ike Turner that was Tina Turner, but Reverend Ike Turner, who was a law of attraction slash Baptist preacher. Baptist? Uh, yeah, so he wore really bright colors, and he kind of like dresses like what Cat Williams dresses like now. And so it was like very, like again, like this is one of those like super black things, but it's like, uh, listen to Cosby too. Cosby has the cadence of a preacher. Like, like you know, he doesn't just come on so stage. So Sam Kinison. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's public speaking. 
And uh, yeah, you're trying to win over the crowd. Bill Hicks had a preacher style. Yeah, but then you go like, well, like with white people, I started confusing because there was like two different. I used to go with churches, like because white black people we have the I was gonna say church, but the white people y'all have the other one. You have the Catholic, you have the uh, Protestant, which bring up a lot of points. And then well, Protestant I don't put in there, but like you know, Catholics bring up a lot of solid points. And you listen to Seinfeld, it's a lot. Even though he's Jewish, he still has a lot of solid points. And that shit like really like makes my oh, that's like another dimension. But the Black Baptist Church. the best music. Yeah, absolutely. That I used to go to the Black Baptist Church in DC because we were Methodists, and then we would go down to the other one down the street. Yeah. And but it would fucking rock. Yeah. Dude. The music was it was a show, it was a vibe, it was love. Mm. It was uh that's the only thing I'll say about that. That was that no, was my only great, note on that. It's a great side note. So let's, 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 let's you, I guess what, did you grow oh, up Catholic? Did you grow up Methodist? Did you grow up Jewish? Would you grow up Buddhist? Uh, no, nah, my mom, uh, uh, my mom, this is not easy. My dad grew up Baptist. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's not easy because it's like hard to explain. My dad grew up Baptist. My mom and them never really lived together. So right. my mom uh, just went around, grew up Pentecostal, but then she went to Unity, which is a, a, a non-denominational Christian. Like and it. then she had me go to a Jewish preschool. And so I had to go through the ceremonies of Jewish stuff. Cool. And then so I was really confused. But your like mom, the entire time. in my tattletale, like we've said, your mom may have smoked some weed. I mean, this if you want to bring that up, weirdly enough. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure if you want to bring it up. I would say maybe weed was a religion. I mean, weed, I, yeah, for black people, it ain't really a religion. I mean, they, maybe some of it. No, no, I'm lying. There's just being nice there's and being kind. There's Rastas. Uh, nice yeah, Rastas. I mean, just mostly, like, I don't know. Uh, maybe I was going too deep on that one. I mean, you know what? Just, just you can go there. Well, yeah. I ain't denying you. I just got to catch up. That's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm on this wave. I'm trying to catch up on your wave, baby. Let's make these things happen. Nah, man. I'm like, uh, I love my, um, yeah, I love the, the. I went to a lot of different churches, and it's like, like it was. Um, I don't know. I'm really uh, got to learn that vibe. I like to learn just have to connect to people, and you know, I started like taking hypnotherapy classes and got certified in that, and just learning. I like, oh, wow. how do you connect people and emotionally uplift them and whatnot? You know. That was some new jazz. That was a big. I don't know. I don't know what you did for COVID. What you do for COVID? What do we, no, I would say, what would, uh, what do you, what's your vibe now on spirituality or God concept? I love or? it. I love old God concept. I mean, especially yeah. like if you get really nerdy on the whole thing. There's so many different perspectives and layers and like. I mean, I started listening to this one dude who was talking about the, you know, the metaphysical symbols of the Bible. And you go to like to so many of those people who talk about like, for example, there's one dude who argues that all the Bible is a scientific book. That's symbolic for how our brains and body works on an atomic level. All things are one. So you go to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve was a story. Not Adam and Eve. No, we'll start with uh, the Jesus story where, okay. you know, Mary and Joseph are trying to born with Jesus. So mm-hmm. everybody in the Bible being symbols, um, every man in the Bible is your thoughts. Every thought in that Bible, every, every man in that room, you'll have, every man, you'll have that thought. Every woman is an emotion. It's just, so think about that. So the symbol of Joseph and Mary was your thoughts and your emotions. They're looking around for someplace quiet so they can sleep, but everywhere is busy. So this is them having a problem. They can't get aligned with themselves. So you gotta find someplace quiet. The only place quiet they can find is a barn. They find a barn and that's when Jesus comes. And Jesus is your highest state of mind where everything gets done. And then Jesus is born and then in the middle of the night, wisdom comes with its gifts. So the next morning, you know exactly what to do. So basically saying, when you meditate, calm down, you'll get the wisdom to go solve all your problems. I don't know. And it was like that one story kind of blew my mind. Like, oh, that's what, it's a good argument. And it's interesting because he keeps proving this story over and over and over in every story in the Bible and all these symbols. And I don't know, that made me go like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of things going on in this world. This all is one. It's like, I don't know. And that um, when you understand and start to see things like that, it uh, makes life much more fun.
Yeah, man. I'm all about the frankincense and myrrh. <laughs> yeah, man. Frankincense and myrrh. That means, you know, things. That's what the wise no man thing. came in things with the frank, funky weed. Right. But when you come back in, yeah, when you come back, like when you come out of a meditation, things look better. They smell better. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> you know, yeah. And then oh, you just during the pandemic, I've been meditating. Like, we could talk about that. Let me check what, how much time. I don't want to take too much of your time. Oh, yeah, we're at 23. We, got, we can hang out 10, 15, 20 more minutes. Well, hopefully my Bible story didn't bore you so much. No, I, no, like I, that. Just, I didn't want Ooh, to run. Bible's coming out. It's time to I go. Loved, no, 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 no. I loved everything you said, and I'm on point with everything you said. And I was also saying, uh, did you meditate during the, the pandemic, man? It, it seems like we're all here. It's so nice to see you, Seton. Like, nice we see went you through some shit from 2019 to now, like... And then coming out of now that we could podcast and smoke weed and and eat Snickers and drink coffee. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, actually it is. Uh, yeah, it was a fun five, 2019 and now it's been a very, very fun time. <laughs> it's been glorious. I actually, it's like been a nice kind of growth in life, you know, and then you go, oh, hey, all right. Oh, that's but we learned, I learned how to meditate. Like mm -hmm. I got up to 40 minutes, not to nice, brag, not nice. to go ego on no, it. Nobody's even arguing that. That's no, no ego at all. I, I like, can't do it now. I, I haven't hit that mark in a minute. I'd go for 20 if I can. I don't think you should actually uh, make it a, a cumulative achievement thing. That's well, I read another. that the theta waves kick in. Well, there's out, like, you're literally, like, my new, new like, meditation, you're healing your brain. Absolutely. And I think, like, as it, we get older as men, like, you want to watch out for getting strokes and dehydrating your brain. Absolutely. So I think meditation, you're kind of, like, healing. Like, I'm more into healing. And that's what also, like, you're doing a lot of MMA stuff. Yeah. What's that vibe? Do you enjoy that? I do enjoy it. I enjoy that it makes me... Uh, uncomfortable. Physically fit too. Makes me fit, but that's not the pro That's not the reason I do it. Like that was a byproduct. If I do things for physically fit, then I would get bored. Because then I'll be like, I would get to a point and be like, all right, well I'm done. I'm fit now, and yeah. I will stop. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that's yeah, what happened yeah. every time in my life. But then like if I have a not larger goal of like just learning techniques, learning crap, that's getting heavy. better every day, then it's better. So that's why you start meditating. Because meditating also is a process of learning how to calm, be calm and be aware. And when you're fighting you like have to work on that muscle of learning how to be calm and be like be aware of like where's my center at because it gets jarred with every movement <laughs> so and you're like, problem solving so you're using your yeah. brain and that's making you smarter so i yeah. think it probably definitely helps with making you smarter I think, yeah, I think. But it also makes you worry because you can't really think, think when you fight. There's like layers. There's so many things happening. And happen. that's always the funnest part of life is when you don't have to think. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> but it's like thinking and not thinking where it's like you got to give your brain general directions versus specific. I have to make this happen. No, I got to get in this position for something good to happen, which is like a nice philosophy of life because sometimes in life you'll want this exact thing. And if you don't have this exact thing, then you're miserable, not really seeing all the blessings that you have now on that journey to the thing you have. And it's like, you know, like that's fighting really makes you merely wear like if you're if you decide that you're lost to fight then you lost if you decide that you won then you have a chance and you have to see an opportunity and it's like every day i get to re remember that little lesson and that's what weird about life like the most important lessons of life i got to keep remembering every day you don't just go all right i figured it out nah you got to see it in another way which is again all things are one <laughs> um yeah and it's not that easy man uh there's so much going on and to live like really present in the moment is like you know, it, 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 you got to work on it every day. And but when you get to that moment, you're like, yo, today is dope. Yeah. You know, I'm living it. Yeah, there's a lot of shit going on. But shit does work out if you go with the flow. And, uh, you know, if you keep working, I think not giving up is a lot of it, you know, with with I think with uh, jujitsu and doing MMA type of stuff, yeah, not, it's giving, like up. not giving up like that. That idea of 
ne- like, because I, I wrestled, I was third, not to brag, but I wrestled, I was third in the state. So that's and, a big deal. That's yeah, a big deal. You're uh, Virginia, where it's like the farmland. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, a big yeah, deal. That's uh, a pretty big deal. Yeah. Uh, but I, so, but I did it since I was in the third grade, and I stopped like senior year. I was burnt out on it because it is, yeah, it, mentally it's really wearing, and it wasn't naturally to me. But I just knew it, and I knew all the techniques, and I did like the mind game, like you do skill, you know, doing skill, like. I, I, as growing older, I want to play more chess. I want to read. Are you reading books now? What's what are you reading now? Um, God, like ever since I started fighting, I stopped. I used to be a big fiction dude, and then once I started fighting, I started getting really in love with details of life because I didn't because like they could spend every time with little movements and fighting like a jab. You could spend uh, six months talking about a jab and not cover you know, a quarter, a piece of what entails a jab. She's like, ugh. And so, like, and then, so the whole. Where to position your feet, where to, where to put the energy. Oh, hip rotation, leg rotation. How like to pull out. Yeah. Di- different philosophies of what a jab should be used for when, where, yeah, like height-wise. It's like just so many That's things. That's so twist. cool you're getting deep into this. Because oh, I'm so trying far. to play guitar, and I want to go deep. But yeah. I just haven't been able to have that much time. But I, I, I. It's overwhelming. It's a good, it's a good thing. But you kind of got over the fate, because you weren't doing. When, like when you were 27, were you fighting? No, I was. Um, I had no job, time. I had a job working 14 hours, and I was just doing stand up at night, seven days a week. So I just was sure up to try to like, like yeah, yeah, get yeah. funny and get out. And um, yeah, and then once I actually had like all day free. That started to freak me out because I was like, because I, I also was trying to work hard so I don't have to think. So I was like, so I was like, oh shit, I'm thinking. It's hard with stand up because the idea of stand up, you've got to think in order to get the ideas. And then as you get older and we're all talking about mental health, the idea is to not to think. So you're kind of always battling that. But but to take it, to, you take that energy and do something physical, I just think it's dope. And you're saying like learning the techniques is dope. Every new How's your body holding up? Just like, sh- do you do double leg takedowns? Like you're kicking and shit. Yeah, yeah, how do I hold up? Um, uh, I mean, I didn't do anything crazy in my 20s. I think a lot of dudes who either retire in their 40s, they, they uh, either burnt themselves out, like you said, you get burnt out. And yep. there's another dude who like Chael Sonnen, who's really big and popular. He says like, yeah, so not, they, people think old age happens in your body first. It's like, nah, it's in your brain first. You just don't feel like going anymore so you're bored it's like i can do that already i don't feel like learning more it's like you're less not inspired because you're artists you forget that martial art is not is an art and so like uh, i've been as a burnt out artist i'm just told oh create more jokes you're like yeah but i don't care about that thing well that's not right now that's called selling out it doesn't matter if you don't care <laughs> write a joke and move on yep, it's like yep. and that's what it is it's like i don't care if you don't want to fight right now it's fight night it's pay-per-view you got to feed your family get out there it's like you get dropped in front of all these people. There's nothing, I mean, dying by, by on stage, but getting pinned when I was young, that is the most demasculating thing. Like, it is. D- I agree. I agree. Fucking Ma- getting pinned and there's like teenage girls around, dude. It was brutal. Grappling is a, a uh, really emasculating kind of sport. You really got to like. So, I, yeah, with fighting, like, it's either you win or, you, yeah, there's a, that's that concept yeah. of you win or you lose, you know, win yeah, or you lose. My thing is, I went into fighting, I'm turning off my ego because I was like, I started at 33. So. I'm not going to be too good. <laughs> I'm not going to be good. So, well, knowing that, because like with stand up, I had my ego all my ass. And so, like with this, I was like, I, I, need, know. To, I need to actually do not something. Not you, but me. No, it happens to everybody. It's like, yeah, yeah. just like have a moment. So, I was like, I need to do something where I don't actually expect me to be the best. So, I'm fucking depressed all the time when I'm failing. Like, when I'm, so, like, so then it just taught me how to just really celebrate my little successes and celebrate the details and celebrate the process and celebrate. So, then that made just comedy much more fun. Because then, especially being around a master like Mulaney, then I started to like, 
really nerded out like, oh, that little detail I never noticed. Why you do that? Oh, that little detail. Why you do that? Why you why you do that? Oh, and so then that just made me like start to apply, and then like just really yeah, just giving a fuck about comedy. Then it's like now I'm like saying things that I always wanted to say before. Like you were talking about before, like how do you what do you like uh, how do you find your truth or how do you like figure what, out what yeah you what am say? I trying to say? What are you trying to what's say? What's behind yeah. it? Yeah. You know, what's behind it? Like, technique is cool and everything, but what's the energy behind it? Right. And I what agree. are you trying to say? Because, you know, you listen to your own tapes, you're like, I don't know, for me, because my style was just so goofball and out there. No, I'm absolutely. So, and it, it, we've had so much chaos the last, since, you know, 2000. I didn't go hard in the paint. I've been doing this podcast with stand-up. I, I put out an album in 2019. That's the last thing. I, I want to get it together and put something out there. Um, so I'm thinking about like, yeah, what am I trying to say with this shit? Yeah, you know, and, it, and what are we all going? Because it's what what do I want to say now? Because it's so funky. This is me being just uh, a snob, so please dismiss it completely. Cool. But whenever I hear a great joke from a comic, it's always because I'm like, oh, you're hitting all the notes right now. Like you're hitting the the relatability. You're hitting your own voice. You're hitting a great argument. You have your own great act out. This is like you. Nobody else can take this joke. Nobody can say it. Yeah. This is your slice of life. And that was one time, again, like 15 years ago when I heard you do this one joke that had nothing to do about nothing. <laughs> but it was like, do you want me to fuck it up or do you want, do you want to say it? <laughs> I'll, 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 yeah, you yeah, do the joke. It. Yeah, I was talking about, because they always said Redskins... I mean, I grew up in D.C., and it is a racist name. I say now, uh, this is another joke. I'll just do two quick ones. But, Talk it out. Uh, Redskins, like, it, it was a racist name, but they didn't need to change it to the Commanders, mm. all right? They didn't need to change Commanders, that, that's whack. Nobody wants to be commanded. Mm. Why do you want to command? But, <laughs> that's funny. But, yeah, but Redskins, all they needed to do is change it just a little bit. Instead of the Washington Redskins, they should have called it the Washington Redskin potato salad. <laughs> football team <laughs> no that wasn't see I, I love those two jokes but that was the secondary joke no that the, was the secondary no the yeah. joke i really you know the joke i really liked yes. was like uh people like say they call you a a, a, a bandwagon. bandwagon call me a bandwagon fan i'm like man fuck that shit <laughs> bandwagon when you start winning then i'll start showing up i got shit to do with my life i got laundry i got kids to feed i got like it was like one of those was like yeah it just hit that note where it was like like those two were like yeah that's unique but this that hit the soul it was like yeah, you weren't trying right. to be nothing you were just like a annoyed emotionally no and that to me was you it was like really like like you saw the world really simple and you kind of looked at them like they're weird and that was to me was like the great thing like oh, <laughs> you know that was kind of the funny thing was like you always kind of pointed out your own weirdness like no 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 the funny thing is <laughs> you're right <laughs> they're wrong and that is the heart of your whole act in my opinion 15 oh, years ago thank you so see. if you ever want to try that might be the nugget <laughs> yeah 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 it was yeah it, they called dc fans bandwagon fans but i you know i ain't i got no time to see and watch you lose Get your shit together. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I got laundry. I got, uh, yeah. And it was right when I was turning like 30. You know that moment where you're like, dude, fuck being a cool guy. Fuck what other people think. I really got to survive in this fucking weird capitalist world mentally and emotionally and financially. And dude, I ain't got time to put my time into your sports game if you suck. Because if you follow a team and they suck, like, you know, when you start w watching football and you tie yourself and they start losing, it, like, bums out your whole day and shit. Yeah. But and when I, you're 30, I was like, I got no time for that. And I just want to let, I mean, just energetically speaking, notice the passion that you had behind that versus before the two jokes you had. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the other two jokes ended. This hasn't ended. You still have more to say. <laughs> you still have right. bothered. <laughs> There's still energy. I'm ready to hear more of this shit. Like, it's really like, this is what you got to say. I'm excited to hear this shit next year, homie. <laughs> yeah, this is where I need to go. You're right, C. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, 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 you know, I love the simple things with comedy. Mm -hmm. And that's what uh, John Mulaney, 
is a master of the simple things. Uh, Berbiglia is a master of the simple things. Like Hedberg was a master of the simple, you know, just like. Yeah. That's, that's that good layup in stand-up when you just go, boom, boom. And, and it's not too fancy, and it's not, but it just hits the mark, you know? In my nerdiness of studying the comedy, I realize this, and this is a universal thing in everything, but it's about people. I used to think it was about the idea. It was about the event. It was about the next plot point. You know, it was about the next crazy thing I did. I said, like, no, 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 no. It's about people. <laughs> that makes sense. So it's like, I'm not hearing, I didn't love Patrice O'Neill because of his, like, great technique and great I loved him because he was talking about my story <laughs> and so it was like oh that's my problem <laughs> oh man please talk about how you beat my problem like he was my hero for my problems because I you know because he was talking about people you know what I'm saying like even and that and that right now it was like the other two jokes were again they were clever ideas but that was about you and them and that like the specific motherfucker fucking with you on your day when you got real shit to do who's getting away your people you love like that's what happened that was like a dynamic of scene you know what I mean like and that's the shit I realized oh that's the heart of comedy every great comic you see the motherfuckers that's in front of them and you see the people they love and you see who's getting in the way like Bill Burr great example he's oh, get angry he's so fucking masterful like I hear him on XM and I'm like oh man it's just it, it's just so much good material now. The last 10 years has just been like this. Yeah, but he's never angry for himself. He's not a selfish, angry person. He's always passionately angry for somebody else out of pure love. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember his great Disneyland story. He's going there, fucking talking shit about Disneyland, but he's talking about his whole point was, I want to make those kids smile. <laughs> if my kids smile, fucking worth it. And you go like, God damn, you're a genius, Booper. <laughs> it just make me fucking feel good. Um, yeah. Telling the truth, you know, is good. And you have to tell your, but everybody's truth is different. Like, Bill Burr's truth isn't your truth. But I think that's what's awesome about Bill Burr. It's, it's undeniably funny. No matter if you agree with it or not or what it is, it's, he's definitely going for the funny chord, but he's trying to say something. But uh, I don't know. It's just like sometimes when I get too preachy, as we say, I don't get the laugh. He ain't being preachy, though. I think preachy. Yeah, that's I think, right, yeah. I think we confuse and conflate. This might be a private conversation, everybody. But uh, Yeah, we're getting a little stand-up nerdy on this one. But it ain't preachy. It's um, the difference. We hear rants. When he's actually in the middle of a conflict, he ain't yelling at nobody. He's yelling at the person he loves. He's yelling at motherfuckers in his way, and it's like a, it's a scene. We're in the, he's, seen, he's doing a scene. He's not doing a rant at you. And that's like the little millimeter difference. You know what I mean? You're right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can rant all you want, but as long as you're ranting in a ridiculous situation, you know what I mean? Like, if you're standing up, you know, if you're standing up for your rights, you know, but it's in a situation so you can pee in an alleyway, you're being ridiculous right now. Rant all you want, but it's enjoyable. It's like a kind of a lesson you learn from long form improv. But, you know, just. That's what I thought right away when you said that, that his, Bill Burr is like a scene like if he went into an audition right now and did one of his like bits it would just like you're like of course that's what it is you know yeah. it's just like it's almost theater it's beyond stand-up it's almost like advanced theater you know advanced Absolutely. theater no no he actually yeah it was like uh especially after that 2012 special it was like he really hit a groove that's just and he came from like you know funny bones in boston comedy club and what you do learn from those cats is like the best of those, you know, road dogs are really, really good. You know, I there's mean, a lot of mediocre, but the best they are like, oh, shit. I mean, him, Patrice and Louis just had this whole like it's almost like a ninja class. Like they, they all have the same style, but they did it all in their own different way. But you could, you could tell their roots are the same style wise. Yeah. The, the, just the, the arcs, the arguments, the uh, scenes, the improv to get there. That's they, New York but, 90s grime and grit. 
and sucking. Stand-up was fucking slumping in the 90s. I got in in 99, but people don't, that's why Attell is so fucking funny. Damn. That's why Patrice is so funny. That's why Bill Burr, nobody's killing like those cats. Because stand-up was going down. When I got in, there was clubs closing. There was weird dudes from the 80s that were like, you doing these weird old hacky acts that and nobody was showing up. Yeah. Like they the had giveaway tickets. Philosophy yeah. back then was all like, get your act and then keep it and then live it forever. And then those guys were like, nah, keep writing. Be yeah, 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 yeah. Those guys were shit. like, don't be hacks. Don't, don't be, be hacks. hacks. So that's yeah. the number one rule. That's why I came to New York. And that's what was cool about coming up in San Francisco. Like hacky shit. It's gotten weird now with all the likes and the thumbs up and all that shit. But back when I started, like, it just was like the hacks could not make it so far. Like, the, the upper echelon was not fucking with your hacky ass yeah, act. The demand, the demand for content now is, like, putting you in a position where it's like, well, y'all are asking for hack shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we're getting the sign. We done? Yeah, we're done. We got to wrap it up, my man. Up, man. Thank you yeah. for the talk, dude. Appreciate it. See, Seton, we're I'm at uh, right about, yeah, we're right about at a good time. I have another guest that came here running late. You're too cool to do it. Uh, you want to plug your website or, or where people could see you? SetonSmith.com. Watch my special at YouTube slash SetonSmith.com. Watch the special. Special's awesome. Got another, it is awesome. Yeah, I think I'm going to release uh, the, the, the Strokes. It's going to be a mini, 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 mini special where I opened up for the Strokes. I want to release that footage. I just haven't done it. Uh, what was opening like the, for the Strokes? Was there, <laughs> was there any weed in the back? I guess that we can make that a quick question. Was I there mean, any? weed in the back uh, backstage only, or those guys ain't smoking weed those only, guys are beyond it yeah only weed from me they're all sober yeah they're all sober <laughs> they went too sober. hard they went too hard they live life hard and so like julian's is one of the most warm human beings in the world and i just like like hanging out with him as a human being i'm like i wish we were friends when we were kids he was like nah i was crazy back then i was like yeah i was crazy too so like <laughs> we met each other perfect time in life so it's kind of nice so yeah, man. Oh, man. It's a great blessing. 2023 is a blessing year. Thank you, 2023. 2023, doing Madison Square Garden, opening for the Strokes. Uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer, cooler, funnier dude. Seton, I love you, man. Thank you for doing the podcast. Thank you very much, guys. Um, Yeah, next year, by the way, a movie called My Hero is coming out that we shot this year, too. So check that out. Check Thank out you. My Hero. Seton Smith, My Hero. All right. Peace. Peace.